0: Welcome to the Supplemental Podcast. We are two licensed therapists sharing our therapeutic and personal perspectives.
1: We hope this clinical and applicable insight will inspire you and challenge you to grow.
0: We are this week with another topic for you guys, and this one is on fear. So, we're hoping to cover like a couple different aspects of it, but Talk about being what it, what it would be like to be driven by fear and to really have fear as a constant emotion or a constant feeling, a constant state that you might be in, and how that really um, can kind of take over life at times or situations and whatnot. So to jump into it, we are going to start with like. Overall, what is fear? Um, So I'll say first that fear we know is an emotion, um, and it's one that we consider a primary emotion, right? So you can think of it like primary colors. Um, That's how I I always describe it. But um, it's a primary emotion, meaning that it's, it's a very basic raw emotion, and then other things can kind of spin from fear. And I think it's important to know that because, obviously, we have this sense of fear for a reason. It can be a safety measure at times or um, part of our intuition maybe at times, but I think it can also get overplayed or overused, and that's what we want to talk about today of how it can get into an, a state of overdrive and where that causes problems. So, Tegan, tell me what you what, your, what are your initial thoughts of like the topic of fear and how that ends up being played out in clients or just life in general that you see? My
1: mind initially, when I think of just fear, I think of danger, like a very primal response to a threat to oneself or a perceived threat to oneself and kind of that panic response that follows, which we're going to kind of outline what that does to your body in a minute here. But when I think of fear, I don't think of an emotion initially. It is an emotion, but I think it's just this very strong, intense, overwhelming experience that can affect you both mentally, emotionally and physically. At least that's from the get go where my mind goes.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. That's very true. Because in the moment of being very fearful, I think you're right that none of us probably process it like, oh, this is just a strong emotion. (laughs) It's really more of an overwhelming, like you said, presence of something. So I think that is important to note, because um, maybe we can jump into this now, but um, that can fear can be such a strong motivator. And that's not always a good thing, right? But it's such a powerful feeling, if you will, that it can be a motivator. It can be something that drives our decisions and behaviors. And I think, Um, one thing that comes up to my, to my mind as we're talking about this is parenting. Cause I think there's like an old school kind of way of parenting that, um, whether it was intentional or not, I'm not speaking to that, but that, um, really it was instilling a sense of fear into your kid, you know, like you will mind or you will obey or else. And on some level, I think that And then, you know, on another level, it can be debated that it's teaching the kid that it's, um, you need to be respectful or whatever it is. But nonetheless, whether or not that we have to focus on the parenting part, but just that it can be a really powerful motivator. And when you're in that state of fear, I think you're right, we don't think of it as an emotion, we just are just overwhelmed by it.
1: Absolutely. And it is very, very, I like the word motivational that you're using because it can motivate people to literally survive or react in certain ways that are, I mean, arguably healthy or unhealthy, depending on the circumstance and the necessary response during the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, that makes me think too of, you know, some of those crazy stories you hear about um, people being in situations and overall what's going on deep down in them is probably fear but they have just like these quick gut reactions to the situation that end up being for safety you know um, which I just think is fascinating of that we're just created that way you know to be able to have that reaction um, I guess not always but it's just kind of interesting to think about that it's coming from an overwhelmingly negative feeling but we are able to at times able to do something good with it definitely
1: in a way we even need it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so okay you already brought up let's jump to like what does this do to our bodies so I I don't know I just love to nerd out on some of this stuff because it's so interesting to me but we have a different episode if you guys haven't listened on um, the mind gut connection which really just scratches the surface of that topic And I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we talk too much about fear specifically in those ones. But I think it is fitting to that because the fear response is really our body being in a hyper state of fight or flight. And that has so much impact on our bodies in general, both in the short term of the moment that you're feeling that fear and also in the long term of Um, if you're in that state often or frequently. So what what are your thoughts on that? Or what do you know of how this relates to our bodies and our health? Yeah, I mean, immediately, my mind goes
1: to just trauma work. And that's my favorite specialty. And that's what I have this conversation with clients a lot of the time, because sometimes people don't know what's happening to them, they don't realize that it's a healthy, normal response that the body does when it's scared. And so essentially the, the fear reaction is when the sympathetic nervous system, um, which is part of the autonomic nervous system, it just gets revved up. That's when you're getting this experience of hypervigilance. Your heart rate is increasing. You can have a decrease in appetite. Your heart rate is, well, I said that already, but like you you just get this like panicked feeling, but it's also can feel like a surge of energy essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not necessarily comfortable, but it's, it's that fight or flight reaction that overrides everything else going on. How would you define it? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that is great, too. I think of um, just kind of an, a hypervigilance, which really is um, like what you just described, your autonomic nervous system and overdrive. Um, and I think when we consider that, it's super hard to get yourself out of that state. When your body is working that hard, it's really hard for your mind to catch up. So, um, you know, you can tell me and you probably have even better tricks than what I know in working with trauma so much, but something that I encourage clients when, if they're struggling with high anxiety or panic or, you know, the state of fear that we're talking about, something I encourage them is when you're in that state, do your best to work on your body because it's easier to do easier, quote unquote, (laughs) I know it's not easy, but. It's easier to help your system slow down or help your body slow down because that's more of a black and white thing than your mind. Your mind is spinning absolutely out of control a million miles a minute, and they're feeding off of each other, right? That heart rate and sweating or shortness of breath or you know all of that panic symptom um, that's going on in the physical is spurring on the mental right, which is the racing thoughts and all that. And it's kind of it turns into this hamster wheel of those two just feeding on each other. And so um, I know it's not easy. But I always suggest to my clients work on your body first, don't try to stop your mind or don't try to get onto a different thought path. Because in my head, that's just almost impossible if you're (laughs) in that state, you know, so I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I think
1: my thoughts are that the neuroscience backs that up entirely. So I love that you're doing that with clients because what happens when people are in fight, flight, and there's also freeze, fight or flight are kind of like the very common ones, but kind of the the back seat option too is a person kind of just freezes, their brain freezes, it's like a deer in the headlights. What's happening when our brain and bodies are hijacked by something that evokes fear is the prefrontal cortex shuts down, and the prefrontal cortex is just the logical part of your brain. It's the very front, like behind your forehead. There's a lot that goes on there that I won't get into, um, but that is where thinking, language, processing, etc., happens, and and logic is lost when that prefrontal cortex is offline, and it's it's your brain literally cannot access it in a way that mm-hmm. will help you or benefit you. Um, which is why I think I would agree that starting with calming the body, whether that's by um, one of the things I've started with clients recently is doing, it's not something I made up, but starting with a new kind of breath than they're used to, which is breathe in for four inhales, hold the breath for seven seconds and then exhale for eight seconds. And, mm-hmm it's a, it has a very intense calming effect. And at first it feels kind of awkward and bizarre. And then clients are able to kind of calm themselves because essentially what's happening is that sympathetic nervous system is beginning to calm down and it's beginning to regulate itself. And what's happening is the, the this, this, I won't get too nerdy on this, but maybe we do a whole different Please thing do. about the autonomic <laughs> nervous system. The the parasympathetic nervous system is part of the autonomic nervous system too so if you think of like a balancing like a, like maybe like a seesaw the sympathetic nervous system is the one that revs you up and that's what you're feeling when you're panicked and fearful etc and then the parasympathetic nervous system is what's being activated when you calm down and you breathe and your appetite comes back and you might even feel tired and so those two work in tandem and those make the autonomic nervous system and usually it can regulate itself but If we're stuck too much in fear, we're hypervigilant. Or if we're stuck too much in just like calmness, I mean, we're not motivated. So that's why they balance each other out. But long and short, Mm -hmm. it's such a physical experience when we face fear, starting with the physical body, calming is usually the avenue into shifting where the mind is at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that makes it a a helpful tip for, for people is that it gives you a sense of, you do have power over this anxiety, fear, panic, whatever it is. If you can realize I can control my breathing, even in that crazy state, right? Even in that overwhelming state where my brain seem my brain can't function. Like you said, Um, as far as like thought process and that sort of thing, and logic is out the window. Um, but you can control your breathing and it gives you, I think it gives that person a sense of power over a very terrifying place or situation. Um, so I think it's good to know that there still can be something done, even if your brain is sort of offline.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said
0: something I just have been hearing more and more often. I don't know what your thoughts are. I know neither of us work with um, young children in our practices. I think we both work with teens, but not the younger ages, but I've just been hearing more and more frequently about even young elementary age kids with anxiety. And certainly anxiety is present within high school ages, but I'm hearing of it even more in younger ages too. And I think what could be there may, that's maybe a whole nother episode too, just talking about that, but something that maybe is helpful if you're a parent listening to this and you have a child struggling with anxiety or a fear response in general, um, maybe this is just an easy tip of helping them start to recognize what happens to my body when I feel this way, what is going on in my body and helping them learn. They do still have control over that.
1: I like that so much because I think what people do with the best of intention sometimes is they try and give the child or even the teen or adult, really just the human in general, like ways to calm down instead of helping them understand that what they're going through is normal and is okay and they don't need to worry about it. And it's a normal response, but that they can also downregulate themselves. I really like that because what it can otherwise do is lead the person who's panicking or having a ton of fear to think that something's wrong with them or that they don't have control, like you said, and, or like, like they're not doing it right and can't talk themselves down when it seems like mm-hmm. other people can. So I really, I think that's a profound opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. To- so let's talk really quick about, cause you know, I, I don't even know if I have a solidified thought on this. So I'm curious what you think. Um, how would we describe or define the difference between fear and anxiety or are they sort of sisters? Like, um, so I'm just curious if you see any sort of line there, any difference or, or not. I do, but it's such a blurry line. And I like
1: how you said they're like sisters. What I, the, the, my first thought on this, which I also then like give myself two thoughts about why I don't actually agree with that initial one, but that's called analyzing, right? I <laughs> I was looking at anxiety and thinking of anxiety as something that kind of starts in your head from thoughts or something that you're interpreting, whereas fear can come from seeing something or interpreting it, but sometimes fear is more like there's a threat to your well-being or there's a threat mm-hmm. to your mental capacity or your physical capacity or something like that so that's just bare bones where my mind went but I could also make that same argument for each because sometimes people do just have chemical anxiety too and that's a whole different conversation but initially yeah anxiety often starts in the mind and thoughts that trickle down and then cause the body to react where sometimes fear is just a very primal reaction like we said before
0: yeah yeah I agree with you and I think you know and. Again, tell me your two two cents on this. But I think one of the dangers here is that if you're a person that might be struggling with anxiety and, you know, as we've said in other episodes too, that's anxiety is a normal part of life to an extent, right? It's there as a protective measure at times. Um, We need a little bit of it to keep us safe at times and alert and things like that. But I'm talking about um, if you're struggling with it in a more than needed or necessary point. Um, the, the danger I think is that it can move from this sort of basic generalized anxiety into an upper level of fear, so to speak, where it started in your mind, kind of like you said, but then it has persisted and grown into this thing of overwhelming fear. And I think more clinically, it's probably described as panic or something like that. But Um, it's grown into this fear where your anxiety is now that you do believe that you're under threat or you're um, maybe bodily harm or something like that. And it started as more of a seed of anxiety, which again, I I don't mean to diminish anxiety. I know sometimes that can be just as overwhelming. But i what I'm getting at is that I think it just has this potential to grow um, if it starts in your mind like that. And that can be a really negative thing obviously because then i think it gets harder and harder to sift through and to filter what is a worthy fear what is a thing that i really should be afraid of and what is just totally um what am i like holding on to that is not necessary right like what are the things that i am fearful of that are holding me captive really and they don't need to be i think that that understanding gets really blurred once a person kind of escalates, if you will, to this high state of fear. Does that make sense? It
1: does. And obviously it varies person to person, because I think some people just run anxious or fearful by nature, but I like what you're saying because it, I think it almost um, point, points towards the, the beauty of early intervention, whether that's someone who's a child, a teen, an adult, an elder, If there is something that a person goes through that evokes fear, like you said, kind of the seeds of fear that are planted, having someone be able to just work through those and talk through those or just have someone with them, doesn't have to be a therapist or professional, but it's a friend, a family member, somebody who's a a safe person, help reflect reality back to them. Because when we go through fear experiences, we lose objectivity because Mm -hmm. the bodily shift that we go through can be so intense, it alters our reality. And then Mm -hmm. what happens is like you said, fear builds on fear, because not only did you go through something hard, you also now have new neural pathways and new memories around that really intense negative experience. And then Mm -hmm. your brain starts to fear going through fear again. And it just becomes this cycle of like, you're not even logically scared about something, your body is activated, because it remembers how hard it was when you were in fight or flight or something like that. And like you said, it can just kind of snowball and can be hard to get out of. So when someone reflects back to you, like, oh yeah, like your body does that and here's what happened and it's okay. And here's a way to calm yourself down or like, oh yeah, that, that part is irrational, but that makes sense because you saw that thing and it really scared you for this reason. Sometimes it just helps reground people and can eliminate future
0: future Mm -hmm. turmoil. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was beautifully said. And I think that kind of leads us to sort of our last point here, which is what's the antidote to fear, right? Like how do we – and by that I don't mean being eliminated of all fear. I think we've already clarified we you need some of that to a certain, to a certain extent. But what if you're dealing with it in an overwhelming sense, how do you manage that? And I think you just answered that question at least in part by saying – bringing some notice to it is actually a helpful thing and bringing some real understanding to it is, is a good thing. It, it can validate even just to hear, you know, your brain was hijacked in that place and you couldn't do something more or whatever it is. Um, I think all of, there's lots of different healing aspects, but being able to identify it and, and work with it is is one antidote to fear, I guess one way of helping yourself get off of that track of being driven by fear. Definitely. It's almost like, like understanding the anatomy of fear mm-hmm. can really help people. And mm-hmm.
1: then to second or piggyback on that, I think if the anatomy of fear is understood and how it affects your body and your brain, et cetera, I think I found it really helps people when they're able to almost solve the mystery about why their brain and body reacted that way. So if they can kind of tell their story about what they went through or just kind of unpack it a little bit, usually there's some sort of very functional, very reasonable association about what felt really scary. It oftentimes in the present moment, it's something that People are like, I have no idea why that freaked me out the way that it did. And then we trace it back. And usually it mirrors something that they went through in the past or have lived through that was difficult, that their body just remembers. And the body goes, hey, remember that time when you went through this thing? We don't want you to go through that again. So we're going to set off your alarm systems. But sometimes mm-hmm. your alarm system malfunctions or it misfires at a time that's not appropriate. And so it's not always logical. When we Mm -hmm. have fear responses, but usually it actually is, it usually has roots. And once people discover those roots, they just, it just kind of, in a way it's not so simple, but it does almost heal Mm
0: -hmm. the
1: circumstance just by understanding and connecting those dots.
0: Yes. I think that's so true and perfectly said, just knowing is half the battle, you know, knowing or recognizing this is why I was set off um, or why I was triggered is, can be so powerful in the healing process. Exactly. Yeah. And playing off of that, there one last thought I had for us before we wrap up is that the good thing that you you brought out how when we go through something that might be fearful or traumatic or whatnot, it creates that pathway. So that's why our brain triggers again. um, When something comes up, we we go back to that pathway that was created. And I think that is also one of the other probably greatest antidotes to the, to being in this fearful or anxious place is that we can create a new pathway. And I think that's really hard sometimes to think about in the reality of things or in the nitty gritty of it, because the pathway that was created for that fear response seems so strong and so powerful that it can feel impossible for an alternative pathway, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the beauty of our brain is that it can be really strong and powerful, but we can absolutely create a new pathway. And that's, I mean, that's healing and trauma work and therapy, like in a nutshell, right? Is that you can absolutely create a different pathway to get through this. So yeah, that was just my final thought on that is that there's hope, you know? There is it's neuroplasticity at its best Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, we are glad you joined us. If you guys have any thoughts, comments, or questions, whatever it might be, we do have an email address that, um, you can email us at your supplemental podcast at gmail.com. And we check that periodically and at some point might do a listener episode of any questions you guys have. So feel free to do that. And otherwise we will see you next time.